Um, I want to straighten out one thing before we get started, is that on, in your program, I am not an MD, as far as I know. I'm only a DMD. So see you guys. <laughs> so thank you, Bruce, for pointing that out. But uh, hey, let's pray. Father, we give thanks for um, this time we all have together to uh, really uh, learn from each other and to um, hear for some uh, powerful words spoken through your servants, and, uh, especially at the plenary sessions. So, Father, we desire to, um, to love you more and to uh, follow your commands and be obedient to you. And uh, so we ask you to give us the strength and the will and the desire to do that. Uh, we just pray that this time will be um, a blessing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm not the only one that could get up here and speak. Uh, there's several. Denny Shrine, can you stand up, Denny? Denny could give this presentation. Linda Webster. Um, I don't see anybody, but there's other people that could give this. So uh, this is not anything that's brand new. So... Um, my wife gave me this scripture today that is really good. Sherry, what was that scripture? <laughs> I wanted to share that, but it was really good. Well, it basically said that God has called us and given us this privilege. I'm sorry, Sherry, did you say? Okay, I'm sorry. And it is a privilege to be here and through the power of Jesus. But who has heard Steve Saint speak this week? In a few of you? Okay. Um, so, good. So you'll hear some things from him because he discipled me in a lot of ways on how to do missions. Um, CDE for those dental professionals, you can get CDE credit for this class, for being here like six hours. So I didn't know that until 10 minutes ago. So uh, you just get that down at the uh, the desk down front. Uh, um, how many full-time dentists are in here? Raise your hand. Rick Smith, you're a dentist? Okay, dentist, full-time dentist. There's opportunity in um, Bosnia. They need a full-time dentist to come and work. So um, if you know of anybody or you're interested, then uh, just contact me. And we'll see what we can do with that. You, to contact Tony, too. Stand up, Tony. Tony's called to start a dental clinic in Bosnia, which where they have a huge need, and it's a heavily uh, Muslim population, too. So, so I want to have a few questions for you guys. Um, if you could tell me, uh, why did you come to this uh, session? I know if your family why you came that doesn't count, doesn't count so <laughs> tell me why yes uh, we're in a ministry where we train uh, national uh, lay health leaders or community health workers okay so we're always looking for better ways to teach okay and where are you all over all over okay are you teaching dentistry no okay good anybody somebody else why, why are you here Yes. I've done OT in Kosovo and Morocco and Uzbekistan and how to help other people to do what I do. Okay. Did you say OT, occupational therapy? Yes. Okay. 
So you're looking for techniques on how to teach that to others. Okay, good. One more. Anybody else? Yes. Okay, good. Um, he works in a clinic in Kenya where Kelly, do you guys remember Kelly that was trained um, in Kenya the year before last? He, he works with, with John, so. Okay. Well, let me start off with, with my story, how I got here. Um, I graduated from dental school in 1982, and I pursued the American dream. And uh, so I also became a Christian that year. And I um, was curious about short-term missions. So I went on my first short-term mission trip in 1994. And uh, it, was, um, it was really a, a powerful time for me to see, um, to go to another culture and see really how big of a God we have. And so we went there and we did dental clinics. And um, it was the same story. As soon as you get there, there's hundreds of people waiting to see you. When you leave, there's still hundreds of people waiting to see you. So I followed that trip up with many other trips to Jamaica and Brazil, Bosnia, Guatemala, Afghanistan. But I was in Jamaica in 2003, and uh, God showed me something that I'd never seen before. It was the last day of the clinic. We'd been there working for five days, and... Um, it's an hour before we're supposed to go. You know the drill. Everybody that's there knows that you're there to serve, knows it's your last day. Your whole team knows it's the last day, and they're trying to get as many people seen as possible. So it's an hour before we're supposed to go. We have four patients in the chairs. Two of them had broken off teeth that we had to dig the roots out. And a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, his name is Paul Reese, comes up to me and he says, uh, Charlie, uh, there's still 85 people waiting. What am I supposed to tell these people? And I said, Paul, my hands are full. I don't care what you tell them, but I'm busy. So off he went. Well, see, Paul had spent the entire week with these people, and they had um, become friends. And so some of them had spent several days to get there, some of them were in a lot of pain. Who in here has had a toothache? Raise your hand. Most of you have had some. My wife's grandmother had 11 babies. She said she'd rather have a baby any day than have a toothache. That's what we're talking about. So um, so now uh, we're, I'm working away, and Paul comes up to me, and he says, No, Charlie, really, what am I supposed to tell him? But this time it was different. He was crying like a baby. And I said, my goodness, what is going on here? So I, I said, Paul, I am sorry. I do not know what to tell them. But God has this worked out somehow. So we left them, and we went home. But that gnawed at me, and it gnawed at me, and it gnawed at me. And uh, I kept asking God, there's got to be something else. So there's got to be another way. So I, I started really asking God, what's the story here? What's going on? So he started talking to me about a vision 
And, uh, and I didn't really understand uh, what that means to, to really do it a new way and what that looked like. So, um, so you guys might be in the same situation. I'm telling you this because you might be in the same situation. And so when we have a vision about how it could be, uh, it begins with an inability to accept things the way they are. I just could not do this anymore. I could not come and leave all these people untreated. And there's a moral element to it also in that this is not right. There's something that's just not right about this. And I was very convicted. So I had to change. Something had to give. And, uh, and Andy Stanley writes a great book on visioneering that I would highly recommend um, that you, you take a look at. So, you know, in short-term missions, it's about a $3 billion industry. It's big business. There's about 1.6 million people that go on short-term mission trips every year. And so um, a lot of times it's billed as a vacation with a purpose. And um, this is a vacation with a purpose, that one. So, and it's also called humanitourism. And you think about that, that's called that by uh, people that host short-term teams. That's where I got that term. Humanitourism. And isn't it, this, this is what we do, isn't it? We, we go around and we take pictures of the nationals that live there. And, and we, we are in shock as to how they live their life and how they sustain themselves and how, where is God in all this. And, but we have to go deeper than that. And so um, we have to look at a different way. So not only was God giving me a vision for, okay, let's change how we do dental missions to um, let's look at the whole big picture. Let's just look at short-term mission trips in general. So um, he, uh, who, who heard Florence's time this, when she spoke this morning? Okay, there is absolutely no way that you could digest the wisdom that was in that. You have to hear that three or four times. Here's some of the things that she said. She said that Christ gave us the model. And uh, she said, God calls us to a strategy that he has modeled. He's shown us how to do it. God cares just as much that we help. He cares just as much about that we do have help as to how we help. Um, Sustainability and cost effectiveness or very important issues that we have to look at on short-term missions. So when you really do the math, it's very difficult to, to, to justify some of these things we do. But I'm not here to slam short-term missions. We want to develop confidence in, in the abilities and the capacities of the people we're there to serve. So, um, so Jesus says in, in Matthew, I mean in John 15, 16, says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, quite frankly, I think our short-term trips were bearing fruit, but I can't say it was bearing fruit that will last. And so this is where we want to be. We want to be bearing fruit that will last. And then my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So I... Uh, so I really started to look at, okay, how could it really be? How could uh, short-term missions be so that we actually empowered others? 
And uh, so when we look at Matthew 28, we all know how it goes. What I was discovered when I started going and training nationals how to do dentistry instead of, of doing it for them, um, Matthew 28 started having a deeper understanding for, for me. It says, therefore, go and make disciples. We got that part. But it says, as you go along this journey of life, make disciples. As you do what you do, make disciples. As you're a dentist, as you're a mother, as you're an administrator, make disciples. Because Christianity is, is not taught, it's caught. So what I found is when we go and we slow down and we're not a big hurry and we start teaching nationals how to uh, take their time, talk to the patient, put the anesthetic in in a gentle way, make sure the patient's comfortable, extract the tooth, not being in a hurry, they will just mimic that exactly. And that's the compassionate way to do it. And so... Um, so it's more in how we do it than what we do it. Because I've been on trips where we go, at the end of the day, man, I took 232 teeth out today. <laughs> well, their arm is sore, I guarantee that. And, uh, th- and that was success. And so I guess at some level it is. But, um, but isn't our method our message really? When you think about it, how we go about doing something is really what we're saying to the person we're doing it for. And so Steve Saint says, this, if we continue to come and do for others what they can do for themselves, we undermine the very church God's called us to plant. And then that's where dependency comes in. So what are we saying to the receiver if we have to come in and do things for them? So... What is our message when we have to say, we're going to come and do this for you? Because then it becomes an issue of dignity. And we don't always often talk about dignity. And uh, so we, we want to wrestle with that, with that issue of dignity. Because Christ, he did, he empowered us. He came for th- three years, he ministered, and then he left. And he said, you go drive out demons. Well, I mean, if, if they can drive out demons, I think we can show them how to give local anesthetic and <laughs> extract a tooth. So uh, short-term mission should be a shared learning experience between both teams, the host team and the team that's going, and that they should, the, the team that's going should leave something of significance. That's empowerment. And we should learn something that transforms us, that makes us step back and say, whoa, wait a second, I didn't understand it quite that way. I want to call, I don't know the guy's name last night, but we'll call him the Memphis Bell because I think he's from Memphis. But he said, he had this brand new guy he was discipling, and all of a sudden the tables turned, and he was discipled. And he said, let me tell you what a true disciple is. And then he quoted the scriptures. So um, so that's part of... of uh, of what can happen on a short-term mission trip. So I want to um, take a few minutes now. I'm giving you a little background, but we started doing this training in, in Ghana, West Africa in 2004. So I'm going to zip through this really quickly. And um, we went there, and we took four, four mature believers, and we showed them how to give a shot, take a tooth out, and fill a tooth. Two days in classroom, four days in the clinic. Intense four days. 
The first afternoon, they're giving each other shots. On day one, they're giving each other shots. On day three, they're seeing patients. So at the end of the six days, they actually will take out more teeth than a student going through four years of dental school here in the U.S. That's the truth. I hear stories about dental students that extracted two teeth in dental school. So then when we leave, the trainees all work together. They're not allowed to go on their own. This gives good accountability. Uh, if there's any legal issues of what took place, there's accountability that way. And um, so they're not allowed to, to go on their own until we come back. And then we do follow-up visits within a year. We evaluate their techniques. We see their level of competency. And mostly 90% of what we're doing is this is a time of encouragement. They are doing an awesome job. What happens, it described it this way, and Daniel and Caleb will kind of share. What happens in Ghana, they said, as we go and we have this authority of dentistry. And so the people in these, in these communities, they see us there, but they see us pass the skills on to our students. And when they see that happen, then they have faith and trust in these students because we've transferred that authority to them. So, uh, and when we come back, they see the same thing. And uh, when you go back, you see just how gifted they are. So now this has started. It started in 2004. It's going on in Kenya, Sudan, India, Nigeria, Sierra Leone. We just did a training last month. And Ecuador and Tanzania. So um, we're, we're training mature believers with good eyesight how to extract teeth. Now, we, we wanted to teach them how to fill teeth. But in these areas, like northern Ghana, there's one part-time dentist for three million people. So there's no way these people can be served. And plus, it's $10 fee, and most people can't afford that. So uh, there's a huge demand for what they do. It would be irresponsible for us to go and train nationals how to do this if we could not verify, an outside source could not verify that this was a safe thing to do. You with me? Mm-hmm. So I felt like it was safe, but I, I wanted somebody else to, to verify with research. So we did a research study. Five years after the initial training, we went back in 2009 and we said, okay, there's a team from the University of Kentucky College of Dentistry. They said, we'll come. They set the whole study up. We, we divided the into two groups, two U.S. dentists, Denny and myself, four lay dentists that were trained previously. Um, there was a third U.S. dentist that did all the evaluations. He evaluated the patients at three days and seven days. He didn't know who saw those patients. He was blinded. So the result, we tabulated the results. We asked him questions like, could you continue your normal workload? Could you sleep at night? Uh, how was your post-op pain? Were you happy with the services you received? Both groups got almost identical scores. Now, when we went to clinical evaluation, that's where there was a difference. The the group, the four lay dentists, had a higher dry socket rate than we did. Does everybody know what dry socket is? Okay. When you extract a tooth, um, then the socket and the bone has to heal. So it doesn't heal properly. So right on the inner lining of this bone and the socket, there's an infection. It's confined just to that area. Now, it's self-limiting, but it's very painful for the patient. So uh, now, dry sockets will heal on their own. It's not a a contraindication for for doing because everybody gets them. 
every clinician's patients get dry sockets at some level. Now, why do they get higher dry socket rates? So one of the things we did in the study was we said, okay, let's time how long it takes you to do this. So on average, they took two, twice as long to do a procedure than we did. So if it took us four minutes, it took them eight minutes. If it took us two, it took them four. Research is clear. If it, the longer it takes you to do an extraction, the higher the, the incidence of dry socket. In our training, we teach them don't be in a hurry. So they're trained to do that, not to be in a hurry, because if you elevate a tooth and you break it off, then you got to go get it. And then we're talking about sometimes hours to get the tooth out. So um, the other thing is they had on average three years' experience. Denny, Denny and I had on average 27 years' experience. So a better study would have been in taking the dental student just graduated three years out of dental school. That would have been a fair study. Plus, Denny's an exceptional surgeon. He brought my average down, so thank you, Denny. <laughs> His was like two, and mine was like 14. So, um, but uh, so if we're going to do things like this, we have to confirm that this is actually safe for patients. So um, this is a, a quote I heard uh, last week from a Kenyan. God's work done God's way attracts God's resources. Okay, when you think of resources, what do you think of? Money. Money. Human. Human. What else? Equipment. Equipment. You guys are so American. <laughs> what else? People. 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 Resources. Okay. All right. What it attracts is God's resources. What I found, it attracts wisdom and discernment, and insights you didn't know you had because the Holy Spirit gave it to you. So um, what I'd like to do is I would like for uh, Daniel and Caleb to come up and just kind of describe um, what their experience has been. What, what, Daniel, if you'll come up, please. Okay. Thank you. Daniel is uh, in West Africa. And who heard him this morning? Okay, everybody heard him this morning. I think they liked it. We, absolutely, absolutely, amen. So, um, Daniel, we initially trained a group of 10 guys uh, there uh, two and a half years ago. So, Daniel is in a heavily Muslim area where um, they are really uh, persecuted in a lot of ways. So could you tell us the experiences you've had on the guys? Now, Daniel's not trained, but 10 of the guys that are evangelists that work for him have been trained. Yeah, sure. But you remember I was present. Yes, you were present. I, he, no, he didn't miss anything. Yeah, he was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was there. Uh, what amazes me with this training as a matter of fact, um, I've never seen this uh, before. Um, it's the fact of a trust and confidence. Um, our brother really gave to our team. And that raised a great level of confidence. And he allowed us to fail. 
and I think that became so key to us because um, several, none of my team but one has ever injected or put a string in someone's body. And uh, then you started doing it to each other. You know, and you became the first person to do it. Then you are shocked and surprised. So you can do this. You know, the confidence that then he explained to you exactly what will happen. And the beauty is that he explains, if you do this wrong, this is what will happen. And if you do it, if this happens, okay, there is something that can be done about it. It doesn't, uh, it, the fact that you may not be able to do it, but someone will be able to do it. And that, I think, built a great confidence. So when the demonstration and the repetitions were done on each other, and uh, he allowed himself also for the people to, to check him up, I think uh, that means a lot. So it became a life lesson. It is not a memory, but it's hands-on training and experience that is real, is practical, you see it, you felt it, it was done to you, you did it to someone, and you know, it's, it's just amazing. So quickly, you understand the basic principle, and then you are informed that this is the angle that you need to put the syringe, you know, this is where you are targeting, this is how much volume you need to put in, this is how you need to hold it, you name the equipment, if it is this, this is the equipment to use, if it's that. Our people really, really were so happy. Nobody dreamt that he would be able to do that. And uh, within a very short time, you know, they got themselves doing. But I think, before I sit down, what, what really got me was, I have never seen a bold, confident person like this man. <laughs> you know, I mean, allowing them with needles, with weapons and everything <laughs> to do it, you know, I just have no idea uh, what we are going into. But, you know, after the first day, the second day, everybody got excited and everybody wants to do it. And then he was just there. Even when they are making errors, he doesn't rush to correct. He leaves you to finish all the thoughts you have and if he comes okay you can do it it's just small more you know you can you know so that way you know the impartation of the knowledge you know just came in uh, quickly but i think it's it's very very uh the the transfer of the skills and the confidence that goes with it out of trust and love this is just something else that was unique how did uh, the government officials respond to you guys with no, with very little training? Six days. How did they respond? Oh yeah, yeah. You remembered our first experience. They came in here. We didn't have permit. We didn't have everything. Uh, what they didn't know is that we have a certificate. You know, they certified us. You know, as, uh, but they, <laughs> they wanted, uh, they wanted uh, training. But I tell you the truth is that the people that our people work on, 
enjoys it much more than going to the hospital. Because I do not know whether you will ask that, but the result of the training is that those you train are now correcting the certified people working in the government has dental hospital. <laughs> they are removing broken root. They are, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really amazing, you know. And uh, uh, it's opening doors for us. And actually, I think uh, the medical profession, either uh, eye or dental or whatever, is a key open door for the local missions working in closed area or restricted areas. Even when our people were irrelevant before, now they treat them with respect because they have something to offer to the community. Uh, by the way, we do charge. <laughs> you know, it's not free. <laughs> you know, we do charge. But uh, uh, the truth is that it's very, very relevant. You know, very, very relevant. And, and I think uh, what we did, we had opposition from the government. At one point, they stopped us. So we have to contact those we know. <laughs> and then they allowed us. So we went ahead uh, to the federal government uh, to get a permission, uh, which uh, we are granted permission uh, to practice dental and eye services all over the country. As a matter of fact, we can go with that certificate uh, uh, to the neighboring countries as well. So we have covered all of the lay dentists with this certificate. We have a head office that now they, like, we are opening branches in different portions of the country. But if they ask them, we have the photocopy of the certificate. Our head office is there if you want to go with trained, qualified people. And uh, we solve that issue completely. But they perform, I assured you, I wish they did the research like you, if we can get uh, government dental workers yeah. and our staff, yeah. <laughs> let's see how it comes up. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it works. Mm. It works. And thank you so much. We, mm. we really, it opened doors for us. As I was sharing, a Muslim to let a man touch his wife, an Islamic scholar, is never done among the high restricted Islamic uh, community. But, you know, our scholar was able to go into the bedroom of the wife of this scholar, examine her, and now the bonding is great. As a matter of fact, it was uh, Sheikh Galadima that went. Mm. The scholar called me and thanked me. Mm. You know, I didn't do anything. But that created great open doors for us to present the gospel. Mm. He is very influential in the whole local government. And now uh, we have a protection, we have openness, just because he accept, he was a beneficiary of that. Uh, three weeks before I came here, he visited Sheikh in his house just uh, to talk about the gospel. And he's considering receiving Christ as his personal wow. Lord and Savior. So the, the, the medical, the, this, this initiative is just great. And... Uh, 
is, is just demanded everywhere. So we will keep on expanding, and we are looking forward that you come over. Okay. As quick as well, I can't can. wait to get back. We have a question. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, the, the staff that we got trained, uh, the, the wives are the assistants. You know, they are the ones that sterilizes, clean up, you know, well, you know, advise the husbands how to do it because it's <laughs> Just like America, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, we got it from me. It's good to just get uh, somebody, you know, close by, you know, uh, because... You don't want to do it alone. It's possible that you forget procedure or you don't sterilize uh, the things, things. You mm -hmm. get things mixed up. You don't know which tool to use for what purpose. But, you know, if you have somebody to assist, the, the wives are there to, to, to assist, you know. I'm assuming that uh, people pay for the services, and if so, how did you go about working that out so you knew how much to charge that would uh, give the staff perhaps money for their living and for a job, but also for the, uh, the uh, supplies that were needed to do the job. Uh, great. Uh, uh, the basic thing, the government charge very high. We charge less than 30% what government charges are. But our charges covers for now, the medication that is given after, and uh, uh, that is the supply of the medication, then the sterilizers and the anesthesias and the rest is built into the cost. We have not added a profit on it yet. We will with uh, time, but we want to make sure we are confident we are getting good results, which we are right now. So gradually we'll begin to increase to a level that the community uh, would afford it. But we would not give it for free at, at all. Ron. Are they only the ones working been trained by you or are they training people? Um, presently there are people that join our team when the training was out. They didn't attend the training. As a matter of fact, we just have two. They train 18 of our people. Uh, uh, eight left the organization. Uh, so, but they have the skill. Now, those that join, like Gajere, you know, those that were trained, you know, he was able to observe and see. He was not trained by you, but he does that confidently now. Mm -hmm. Of course, you saw him the last time when he came, but it was not a training. He was just trying to see what he saw, trying to get from that. The next time, uh, uh, the last time they were to come, they were just allowed, they are supposed to see some new ones trained. But it is these people that are practicing now. We have four clinics right now uh, in northern Nigeria. So, uh, if they come, which we believe will be soon, uh, to train the newer ones, I'm sure they will involve these people. I like him because of his spirit of uh, mentorship and supervision. He does not uh, grab it and do the job for us. He let us do it. 
and he is there by if if we had any error or what we are confident that he will correct it so we are ready to do whatever we can you know uh to make the errors but uh, god really help us that we, we get through but i think the idea is the people here with time maybe after two to three then we will be able to begin to train uh, churches and other people uh, to get involved. Okay. There, could you, we're going to move on. Daniel will be here afterwards to ask him more questions about this. But um, let me respond to some of those. You can have a seat, Daniel. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Um, <laughs> now, um, see, we don't jump in if somebody's not doing it quite right, but we're watching very closely. Our task as trainers is to coach. And so um, we we do a lot of hands-on things. So they actually, when we use that elevator, their hand is on top of ours so they can see the force that it takes to do things. So um, we are watching very closely the development of the students. If we If we have a student that's way too hasty, we extract them from the class. That was extracting from the book. <laughs> that was not intended, okay? Uh, so, and we do that. But uh, these guys, um, they will emulate exactly the way you do it. I mean, it's, it's scary. There's one part of the video where you load a syringe, the cartridge in a syringe, and you never pick this, you never put the syringe on your hand and then load a cartridge. You never do that. So I couldn't figure out why these students kept doing that. So why do you guys do that? I never showed you that way. Well, it's that way in the video. They were watching the video and seeing it. So we had to change the video because it was wrong, and I never saw it. So they will emulate exactly what you do. So therefore, I have confidence that they're going to be safe, and we can tell pretty quickly if somebody's not catching on. You have to have really good eyesight, too. So sometimes we get mature believers that are in their late 50s, and they just it's not a good idea in some cases for them to do it. Um, one of the things along your question, Ron, is there's a, there's a natural accountability built into this training because Daniel and Caleb do not want anything to happen that would jeopardize their ministry. So they don't want a dentist, or a lay dentist, I should say, out working who is not competent. They will themselves, and they're self-regulated, and these guys know uh, they know what each other's doing. So they will say, no, Caleb just told me a month ago, this guy's not going to make it because that would harm their ministry and harden the name of Jesus. So they, they manage that very well. Um, but when we give it a class, if we had 10 students, it's the bell curve. There's two or three like that. It's like this is their destiny. They were destined to be dentists. There's four, they're going to take a little bit longer. And there's other three that's going to take a little bit longer. So we find out who they are, and they help manage the other seven or whatever, whoever's left over. So, um, Caleb, why don't you come up here? And we'll, can you, um, Caleb is, uh, we did a training in, in India uh, around Hyderabad about four years ago. And we've trained a total of how many guys do you think, Caleb? Eighteen. Eighteen, yes. And um, some of these guys have almost zero formal education. But they have Christ, so it's it's phenomenal what they can do. So, um, what were some of the techniques? Because our, our talk is about teaching techniques. Can you talk about some of our teaching techniques that we used that impacted, or some that we used that didn't impact? 
That'd be okay too. No, I'll try. <coughs> so many things. But I would once again affirm, as Daniel said, um, it's what Charlie, um, the way he does the training, like uh, he gives the confidence to these guys. This, um, was already told my guys are not even educated. Um, all the 18 of them, they probably would not have even finished this school, uh, your school level. But then um, they are excelling, excelling. Even they're, to the point they are even astounding Charlie. In fact, uh, I remember one, one occasion um, as Charlie was going doing rounds and um, Johan, the guy in question was kind of cocky. Asked him <laughs> um, how many roots this uh, molar has, and then he ended up saying three. And then Charlie looked at me and said, "No, but we'll allow him to." So he went around. He was looking at the other. After 15-20 minutes, Johan came up to show his trophy to Charlie, and lo and behold, there were three roots. <laughs> and again, Charlie blinks at me and says, Caleb, this is nothing but divine. <laughs> um, so, these guys have confidence, and then I think God's anointing is upon these guys. And um, before the, each uh, of the outreaches that we do, even during, we have a team that is always praying. One of the dent, dent, dental guys who got a gold medal, he's a Christian, but then his uncle realized he's going wayward. He needed to be straightened up, so he sent him Rajesh. I'm talking okay. about Rajesh. So he sent him to us. And this guy, when he saw our pastors walking, he said, this is incredible. He didn't believe that. He's a dentist. He's a dentist. Gold An dentist. Indian dentist, right? Gold medalist, by the Yeah, way. really high in his class. So he wouldn't even believe. Later on, he went on to say that in their teaching classes, they, they work on a couple of hundreds of people every day, and they also end up receiving dozens of complications on those people. But then... We have done about 7,000 extractions so far. We have none so far. Not a single complication. Uh, it's only because I think um, the confidence that these guys have acquired, and it is also a God thing that we are doing. God is doing these things. He is manifesting His power and His strength, even as we reach out in his name to relieve these people. The situation, I don't I don't know if I'm going off track, Charlie. No, you're doing great. Doing great. Um, we are, like Daniel, we are in a different stream altogether. We are walking in a situation where we are in a Hindu nation. Uh, though we are living, uh, we are working in a province which also has pockets of Muslims, but then predominantly most, uh, Hindu. Um, but God has allowed this tool to open us the doors to go into this. Some of the high caste people are coming, walking in, sitting on our dental chairs. I've never seen this happen. We have done other medical outreaches. We have done 
um, the general clinics, we have done several other medical clinics, but we never, we only see certain caste, certain class of people walking, mostly the lower caste. But the other caste people always stay away from us because they think it's a Christian thing. And um, so they, they read um, different intention, intentions into it, they stay away. But then we have seen some high caste people walk into uh, a Hindu, the Hindu priest, uh, he walked in. His story is altogether different. He waited the entire day looking at us from a different corner. Finally gathered courage and he walked in. But the way our guys have de demonstrated God's love to him, very gently worked on him. Uh, for the first time in his life, he received not only a tract, while he was going, he pleaded for the New Testament. Mm -hmm. He not only reads it, now he advocates about us to others. So this is has entirely uh, brought new dynamics into our ministry. So opened up the doors into the communities, the local parliamentarians. So they have a very high uh, regard for us. And they come. Can you think of uh, police sponsoring uh, dental outreaches? <laughs> Our guys went into the northernmost uh, part of our states. It's more like a forested area. They went to do a dental clinic, one dental clinic. And uh, that area, most because probably because they're mostly tribals, they're to totally worn out. It was very hard. But they did most uh, extractions per day at that camp. They did about 80 extractions on those, all very clean extractions. They had to stay. People provided the lamps. They used the lamps because I, I didn't go for that. I, I was in Hyderabad and I kept inquiring how things are going. After 5 o'clock, I wanted to find, find out what happened. But then they said it's still going on. They went up till 8.30 in the evening they did such a good job. 80 extractions, fully worn out tooth, but very, very meticulously done. The police requested them, said, we will spawn. They said, no, we don't have medicines. Uh, we can't. They said, no, we will buy medicines for you. And uh, we ended up extending this to another interior place with the sponsorship of the police. And uh, later on, we, they invited us to another location. Of course, a few months later, it was fully sponsored by the, the district police. <laughs> the state parliament and parliamentarians are also sponsoring our, and the district collector who, who happened to uh, hear about this, and so they wanted to check on us. They sent their own people to check on us. And uh, the government doctors who came, they were flabbergasted, <laughs> I should say. And because of us, some of the district, and I'm talking about one particular district, so they have dentists sent out by the government. They have dental chairs in the district hospitals, which otherwise, they're all on paper, but they don't exist. So we are reviving the government. Mm -hmm. Good. Any questions for Caleb?
Yes. Uh, I have only talked about the dental outreaches we have done, but um, um, this actually is evolving, and these guys have really acquired the skills. So Charlie was trying to advocate that we should have, uh, we should charge. So I deliberated on that. We said we will do a couple of pilot projects. So we have two places, two centers where we do charge. I don't know how to visualize, bring this to, to um, really visualize um, these centers, but um, we, we do charge them there, but not the entire cost, but uh, the fraction of the cost just because of the medicines and the shots provided. Uh, this by themselves are becoming really a powerful tools, even to the extent once one of the pastors, Pastor Sunil, um, he was going to a different village and he was attacked by, the, uh, attacked by the Hindu fanatics. And one of those people recognized that he is a pastor who does help people with pulling their tooth and he said, no, you stop, you cannot beat him. <laughs> <laughs> so he saved him. So his reputation is spreading far and wide. People are coming, but uh, to the extent people want to come all the time. But uh, they have uh, uh, we we have teamed them teamed them up two by two, like uh, two pastors do it together. Um, one pastor travels to the other pastor's place and uh, he assists him on the the last Thursday of every month. So last th people in that province, they know there's a dental clinic in this church on the last day. And the same pastors come down to the other pastor, Pastor Ratna. They work together. They yeah. work together. Mm -hmm. And that clinic happens on the first Wednesday of every month. So okay. they're running very well, and uh, they do charge there. Very good. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you. That um, sustainability is a big issue here in the U.S. So sustainability is a work in progress. Initially, when we trained Caleb and his team, they said, no, if you mix money with this, you'll ruin the whole thing. Really? So, but in India, it's a different culture. And so slowly, it's a work in progress where we say, well, does it really make sense for the West to pay for dental service for people in India? Does that make any sense? So we had a discussion with all the pastors, and they're not thinking this way. So one pastor gets up, Yasana says, I'll pay for everybody's dental care. <laughs> I know Yasana, he makes like $100 a month. How's he going to pay for everybody? So it's, it's, uh, this is such a new tool to them. They're not quite sure what to do with it, how to most effectively use it. So it, uh, it's understandable that they haven't figured it out. So it is very much a working process. Now, Daniel said, look, if we don't charge a fee, the Muslims will say, here we are. The Christians are tricking us again. So in, in, in his, where he is, it, it um, added credibility by charging a fee. So everywhere we do this, it's used differently, but it's, it's a work in progress to get to that point where it's sustainable. So any questions about, yes? So you're saying your, your ultimate goal 
our ultimate goal is for people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is our partners in the field and their communities are in the driver's seat. And we're passengers coming along beside them with this tool. They decide how best to use it, ultimately. So um, how they choose to use that is, is their call. Now, I would like to see it cost-effective and sustainable, but they have to decide that, not me. Yes? I am so glad you asked that question. Yes, because really that's where it's at, isn't it? And so what happens is we're going to areas where there's no dentist. So the overwhelming need is extraction of abscessed teeth. But as we go for a few years, now the students that we train say, now, Charlie, how does this make sense? Shouldn't we help these people save their teeth? Yes, and that's where Miss Linda Webster comes in. So... She comes and she will train um, people in prevention. She's a trained dental hygienist, and she really does a great job of training them in how to to, uh, to um, save their teeth and 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 to um, and, and prevention. Now, it's not unlike the U.S. was 60 or 70 years ago. What did the dentist do in the U.S. 60 or 70 years ago? We took out teeth. Okay, so these guys are the same way. They they think, well, a dentist, you take out teeth. This concept of saving teeth and, you know, smiles and periodontal disease and plaque and all that, it's really very foreign. And so, but as they start to uh, help people with their teeth, they're asking for it. So this one, we bring it. Yes? Put in whatever you want. What do you guys say about it? Did you hear the question? Yeah, I have that. What do you say, Daniel? His question, okay. Did everybody hear the question? Okay. Well, uh, basically, you know, when you come up naturally uh, outside the U.S., they thought that everyone is, in the U.S. is a Christian, and they thought the U.S. is trying to convert everybody to their philosophy. Um, I think in our own case, and every culture is different, but in our own case, uh, we, we make sure that they know that it is for a fee. If they cannot afford it, and it's very critical that if it is something they can... Look, they have money. The money that we charge them is something they can afford. Otherwise, they can do a, go and do something with the money and then come to you that they want it for free. So you have to do... If you don't have, we ask you to call your guardian or your parents or your relations. You are in pains. So to give it for free or if you say, all right, bring what you want, 
it will not work because you cannot get the uh, money to buy the medicine, the, the pain relief or the antibiotics that you will give them after. You won't get uh, that to, uh, to to buy because everybody. Some will say he doesn't even have anything next time if you come. And uh, but if you decide to ask some people to go without paying, you are ruining your ministry. That means you are very preferential. You select people. Maybe you are doing it for your friends freely, and for others you charge. So you cause a, a great fight. Again, but if truly the person doesn't have, then you can witness to him. Now he has to listen to you. Okay, <laughs> present the gospel and do it on loan for him. Whenever you got the money, just bring it. But this is the reason that I'm doing it and relieve him of the pain. But you don't want to jump into that immediately. Very good. This underlines a very important principle. You see, they make that call. We don't make that call because we don't know the culture. So we really rely on them tremendously. Now, we've done this training where our partner in the field had a very dependent mentality where they said, well, okay, now you're going to pay to fund the dental clinics, right? You're going to, give, you're going to pay these guys that you've trained, right? No. Don't do that because it won't work. We've been there. So it's important, this relationship you have with your Daniel and your Caleb, well, not yours, but whatever you call I feel like they're mine, so anyway. But you, that's a real, that relationship's critical. I cannot tell you that enough. And if you go in there halfway, you, you're going to mess up. So, and you don't want to do that. Yes? Do you have any problems with that? To train the nationals that they leave the church structure and they take that training to use for their own professional gain, or they take that training to try and get to the United States? No. Because these guys have total control over those guys. Okay. Okay, they, nothing happens with their team, the guys we train, unless they give permission. They uh, control the equipment. They control, uh, you know, how things are done. And if somebody were to do that, I'm sure these guys would make everybody aware that they don't have the authority to do that. Because what happens if they allow that? Then something happens, and they do something wrong? Yeah, that's good. And they do something wrong, and well, it reflects on these guys in their ministry. So they never want to do something that's going to jeopardize their ministry. So they are very strict about how they do that. Yeah. I think uh, I need to mention this, uh, Charlie. Um, when our people are trained, and I think this is very, very important. Uh, you may not have even, I've never mentioned this to you, but I'm thankful now that I will mention it. Um, when you came back, there are some behaviors of some of our staff that wanted to leave to other organizations, but they are very good. Now, because it is not with the other organization, and they are not going to be loyal to us where the team is working and have focus, we have advanced. I informed uh, him, and uh, he was able to really relate based on the information I gave him. Because, you see, thank God that the person decided to stay and be on staff.
But I think whoever you are dealing with, I think the person you are dealing and that has the connection there with you have more information about the local people than you that is visiting. So it will be very good not to do something beyond the person that you know, because the person that you know possibly has all information that you do not even have about other people, including those that are friends. And I think uh, uh, you are very sensitive to that, and uh, we are so grateful. And then you find out that there will be great accountability if that happens, because they know that they can't get away just because they know how to do it. No. Ultimately, God picks them, but by their their advice. But we have the option to not unpick them. Okay. Okay. Um, being told we're out of time.